This is Sexopedia, your bedroom chronicles. Welcome to the second episode of Sexopedia, your go-to podcast for all things sex and dating. I'm Sarah Gibson. In today's episode, we're going to delve into the challenges we all face in a modern dating world and discuss how we can navigate them effectively. Fast-paced modern life can make it easy to lose touch with one's inner self. But what happens when loneliness strikes in the middle of the night, or when we find ourselves lost in the love for another person? In these moments, we often crave connection and intimacy, longing to find someone who truly understands us. In this episode, I invited Valentina Tudos, a Hong Kong-based dating expert, sex and relationship coach, and a clinical hypnotherapist, to walk us through the challenges of modern relationship issues and offer us helpful insights into practicing self-love. Valentina is passionate about helping people create the happiest and most powerful version of themselves. She supports her clients in all stages of romantic relationships, focusing on self-care and deep healing. She is also a popular TEDx speaker and loves to hold retreats. Let's dive in a world of modern intimacy and self-love with Valentina. Welcome, Valentina. Hello. Very happy to be on your show. Let's cut to the chase. So Valentina, want to share some thoughts with us. What are some common challenges men and women face when it comes to their sexuality within a relationship? Unfortunately, the list is very long, but I'm going to try to keep it um, to the point because um, we don't want to go too far down the the list of challenges. But I think the most important one for me is um, related to our sense of self-love like how much do we mm-hmm. appreciate ourselves how much are we aligned with ourselves That's how good. much we are able to appreciate who we are as a person and the gifts that we bring to the world and I think the reason why this is very important in terms mm-hmm. of our sexuality and the way we connect with others is that yeah. when we are good with ourselves when we are happy with who we see in the mirror, so to speak, then we can uh, engage with others from that place of balance and uh, a healthy sense of self. Now, this tends to also translate into our ability to communicate better with others because we can have boundaries We can have clear boundaries in the sense of uh, not allowing people to mistreat us, not allowing people to take advantage of us. So when our communication is effective and we are able to express our desires and preferences in the bedroom and outside of the bedroom, then we can have more satisfaction. Exactly. And I can't agree more when you're talking about like building boundaries. A lot of times people let others mistreat us is because we're not clear about what are the boundaries. That's why we need to uh, actually learn more about healthy sexual relationship. We have to build this kind of self-identity and self-image, knowing what we like and what we don't like. Meanwhile, we also have to learn about what is uh, the appropriate things to do, with, especially within this kind of intimate activities. 
Exactly. And the appropriate things to do depend on ourselves. What is good for us? What is serving us? What Mm -hmm. is in alignment with who we are and uh, what we need? Uh, Being able to have our needs met in a relationship is not just the job of the other person. It's actually a uh, self-awareness job, first of all, for us to realize what is it that I need right now? Do I need you to to make me feel loved and safe by uh, using, for example, words of affirmation? Or mm-hmm. do I want to, to know that uh, this relationship is secure? For example, a lot of people can only engage in, in positive sexual experiences when there is something beyond just the casual sex aspect uh, present, as in when we have a relationship of some sort. So, um, the understanding of where our boundaries are, I think, is very much related to who we are as a person. And also, uh, when we love ourselves, when we prioritize ourselves, um, we are not going to tolerate uh, people going too far because we are afraid to lose them. The main reason why people don't communicate boundaries is because they are afraid that by saying no to certain things, they will lose that person, whatever they had in that situation. Maybe that person's attention, maybe that person's appreciation. But by tolerating things, we are educating the other person that it's okay for them to treat us in that way. I love the idea you were talking about we should prioritize self-love and and our pleasure is actually our individual responsibility because a lot of times people just um, think, okay, out of insecurities, I should take care of the other partner. But the thing is, when you're unable to take care of yourself or be in charge of your own pleasure, um, that's it's a really effort-consuming thing to take care of, of the other party and usually result in a low self-esteem condition. It is, and taking responsibility for the other person's pleasure is going about the whole sexual experience, in my opinion, the wrong way, because everyone really is responsible for their own pleasure, for their orgasm, for the way they behave, for how they feel. And in reality, we cannot really make anyone feel many things. It depends on how they interpret that situation, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, how do you feel about performance anxiety for um, both men and women? I think it also exerts huge challenges for a lot of people when it comes to sexuality. Thank you for that. Yes, I was coming on to that, uh, moving uh, <laughs> forward from uh, self-love and communication. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest challenges we all have is this idea that, oh, I'm going to have to um, somehow make this person feel good, which obviously leads to, am I going to be able to make them feel good? Will I know Mm -hmm. how to please them? Do I know where their buttons are, so to speak? Am I going to be good enough? Am I a good enough lover? Am I going to have a strong enough erection? Am I going to get lubricated enough and so on? Um, And performance is, is a word that I personally believe does not belong in the bedroom. Um, one is, you know, whether you think of it in terms of performance, like an act, like being an actor and performing a role means that you are not yourself. You are not truly there. You're not present and real and authentic, or whether you think of it from the perspective of a sports performance as achievement, I have to, you know, do it faster, stronger, better. 
neither of those aspects I think um, belong in the bedroom ultimately the only purpose of sex in my opinion is connection is yeah, being exactly. present in that moment is seeing the other person and being seen by them at a deep level the whole vulnerability of being naked together and I don't necessarily mean naked physically I don't mean being without when I say naked I don't really mean be that being without clothes mm-hmm. I mean being our true selves naked uh, the where most rudimentary emotionally emotionally yeah, naked emotional. where we we've dropped our defenses we we can be our true self now in reality that kind of sexual experience is relatively rare yeah and it takes a lot of work and it takes mm-hmm. connection it takes this um ability that both partners have in that moment to drop all the masks that we wear That's when right. we're in social mm-hmm. uh, circumstances right and i would say in in early stages of dating or in casual sex situations it's very hard to achieve this state because we don't really know each other enough and therefore we don't feel comfortable enough so mm-hmm. there is a lack of emotional connection simply because an emotional connection really requires a certain degree of vulnerability and um a certain level of knowledge about each other but also uh, it's related to this idea that has been planted in our head that we have to perform right. we have to do certain things even though we're not really comfortable with them sometimes that's uh, yeah. and that goes back to the the source of of sex education right how many of us have yeah. basically received very little or <laughs> very confusing sex education i'm i'm totally with you on this one because i think many people are deeply impacted by pornography and believe that they have this kind of a stereotype that they believe uh for example men should have a giant cock or the big the merrier but it's not the case in reality and women love spanking or being submissive but i mean such stereotypes put a lot of pressure on people so that they feel quite anxious about not behaving like these scenes in the pornography but and this kind of frustration i think is usually going to result to um really people being really self-conscious and confusing and confused because they think oh well i'm not acting like that i'm not behaving like the pornography but the thing is pornography itself is a performance but as you just mentioned performance is just not the right word in a bedroom because a lot of times it's a really deep connection we are a sex is a really deep connection we are trying to build with our partner not physically but also emotionally that you're not likely to reveal this part of you to any other else if uh than your partners exactly you're yeah. absolutely right the the people who we see in pornographic movies they are called porn actors because yes. they are acting they yeah. are pretending to be submissive they are pretending mm-hmm. to be having ecstatic sex every single time uh, <laughs> they are actually pretending to be ejaculating and it took yeah. a lot of work from the prop artists and the fluffers and everybody um yeah. that is present on the set actually getting that uh, particular scene that's the other reason why there's not a lot of dialogue in porn movies because you know <laughs> they don't really care about that yeah but unfortunately um 
they don't these movies don't really come with a disclaimer they don't mm-hmm. really say hey this is not how real sex works and this is why i think it's it's a very damaging uh i mean i love porn right so I'm, i don't want to make it sound like it's a the bad, yeah, a bad it's thing a for you or something yeah there are there are many wonderful uh, reasons why consenting adults can uh, enjoy pornography if it is ethical and if it is um done and uh, watched with this uh, disclaimer in mind that it's simply uh, it's a show it's a it's a yeah. performance and what happens on the screen is this very similar to when we watch an action movie or a sci-fi movie we know it is not real you yeah, know exactly. the asteroid is not going to hit the world or we know that uh, <laughs> you know i don't know people are taking drugs and that's a good thing so all of those things we know that in the context of regular hollywood movies they are pretend well porn movies are also pretend in the sense that they do not really describe reality as it mm-hmm. is and if anyone has been in a relationship for a while um we know that it's not very pleasant most of the time to enact to reenact uh, the the type of uh, sexual acts that they show in the <laughs> in pornography it looks like everyone is having fun on the porn set but in truth is just a performance uh, yeah. and you were right you know most girls do not like spanking some girls like spanking yeah. some girls may occasionally like spanking for you know for some reason in a particular context maybe because they are with a partner that makes them feel much safer maybe because mm-hmm. they've hit that perfect spot in the in the whole arch of uh, of pleasure where our brain kind of uh, the the pleasure and the pain centers are very closely uh situated in our brain so sometimes you know the those neurons fire at the same time but these are um individual cases right so the the reason i brought up um pornography and the way it impacts us is because uh, another challenge that we very frequently face in the bedroom is really body image issues and self esteem issues in general not just yeah. about the body but about our ability to be a good lover exactly and yes. the source of that uh lack of confidence is really from pornography because you know if you're a 19 year old girl and you've been mm-hmm. exposed to some pornography and suddenly you make the conclusion based on you know two or three movies that you've seen that if you're not having a you know a squirting orgasm there's something wrong with you or mm-hmm. if your vulva doesn't look like, like a, a porn way. actress Yes. Yeah, that is not, you know, it's because all vulvas are work of art. They are very yeah. different, they're very unique and and very beautiful in their own way, but just like our bodies are very beautiful in their mm-hmm. own way, no matter if you're skinny or or plump or curvy and so on, but that's not what the norm tells us. We, you know, we are told if you're hairy, that's bad. If if you're too thin, it's bad and so on. So it's really hard i feel to to be okay with yourself yeah. and if we don't if we lack this understanding and this resilience of what does it mean for me to be myself and mm-hmm. to love myself and to accept myself as i am because that confidence will actually project onto my partner whoever that partner might be and we 
are mirroring each other. My confidence will reflect on them. They will also feel more confident if I feel good about myself because then, and if I, if I take ownership of my pleasure, it means that they will feel that they're doing a good job in the bedroom. If I'm enjoying, if I'm giving them the right feedback, if I'm telling them, yes, that's right, and no, let's move on to something different, then everyone will have a better experience. So, yeah. you know, just to wrap up this question, you can see how having the right communication um, and uh, understanding that sex is not a performance, understanding that ultimately we have to love and accept our bodies and our skill levels, exactly. and we have to be able to um, drop our defenses in a sexual scenario that actually helps us overcome all the different challenges that we have. And one final point that I missed, but I really want to bring up is um, the, the concept of mismatched libidos, the fact that many couples are experiencing difficulties yeah. in the bedroom because they are not on the same page when it comes to sexual right. desire. Um, so this is maybe less of a problem for, let's say, new couples or for mm -hmm. people who engage in more casual aspects of sex. But if yeah. you are in a committed relationship over a long time, uh, this problem is very likely to show up. And then most people don't know how to deal with it because very often when the other partner isn't at the same level of desire as we are, we tend to interpret that as rejection. And because yeah. we don't like rejection, our defense mechanism is then to reject mm -hmm. them back. And this is how we disconnect from each other. So we right. both think in our head, oh, you don't like me. I don't like you either. So <laughs> if you're not initiating, I'm not going to initiate either. <laughs> so then yeah. meh. So then you end up never, nobody actually initiates, never having any any sexual connection. And then you think, well, what is going on here? You know, we, we don't love each other anymore. Yeah. So you see how yeah. it's all it's all connected. It's a puzzle. Yeah, it's like like a circle. Like if you we don't openly communicate about one thing, it's usually going to form a vicious cycle so that, you know, we're disconnected and so many blockages and trauma in this relationship. So I... I really got to say, like, it's very important for open communication. Well, and I'm deeply aware of how different, um, how differences in sexual desire and libido might impact the relationship. Because a lot of times, although you're in, in a relationship, but each person is an individual that lead a an individual life that we may experience different stresses um, or different uh, health issues in life that lead to these differences in libido and desires. Well, how do you think men or women navigate differences in sexual desire and the libido within a relationship? Well, that is something that is going to come up uh, for everyone at different times in our lives, right? So yes. it's really, um, it's, it's inevitable that no matter how connected you are with your partner, no matter how much in the beginning you both experience the type of spontaneous desire that is very characteristic of the last phase of a relationship, right? We all know that in the beginning, everyone usually is very well matched. Yeah. And both, uh, both people want the same thing because our level of uh, interest in each other and the emotion and the connection the emotion that we feel the connection that we build with each other okay. really bring us together and ultimately mother nature designed us that way right that so that we are very very focused on um wanting the other partner 
Um, yeah. However, over time, this um, degree of spontaneous desire, as it's called, tends to reduce. And the mm-hmm. more familiarity we have with our partner, the more comfort we build in our relationship, the less passion and the less spontaneous desire we experience, simply mm-hmm. because sexual desire is a very energetically demanding physical, biological process, right? right. To create mm-hmm. this uh, cocktail of hormones, the uh, all the sexual hormones, all the different uh, neurotransmitters and neuromodulators that create desire, which is a highly anxious state in a way, you know, in yes. the body. When, yeah. when we're horny, when we're uh, absolutely in love with that person or in lust, it depends how you want to define that, our body is going through a major mm-hmm. um biochemical reaction right and if we do this over an extended period of time we're going to be exhausted and we're not going to be able to focus on anything else so our survival will be ultimately damaged or at risk (laughs) so over time uh, the body is very smart the mind is very smart and it, it it tries to manage all these the the budget the energetic budget that we have so uh over a certain period of time as I said, with uh, increased familiarity and comfort, basically desire tends to normalize. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it disappears. It means that it comes down to whatever is normal, whatever is stable or uh, homeostasis, what it's, what it's called. It's what it's That's called, right. right. Yeah. You have to uh, understand your partner's pace. And meanwhile, take the time to understand his or her perspectives about the reasons why you have different sexual libidos and trying to be compassionate that's also very important and along the way right. yes along the way probably you'll figure out some solutions for that is it a self is it like a health issue so how can we work on that is it like stress issues what can i do for you sort of like that instead of like just uh throwing a tantrum or just stop initiating i think it's a, uh that's the way to go here yeah. So well, exactly, and yeah. and I think there's kind of a layered approach that you can take. Um, so mm-hmm. first, once uh, you've been, uh, let's say, uh, you've been experiencing a high level of sexual connection in the beginning yeah. of a relationship, when mm-hmm. things start to level out a little bit, you will notice that uh, possibly the different partners have different baselines. So yeah. establishing what exactly. the baseline is is really, really important as in self-awareness. So Mm -hmm. you as an individual, now that let's say you've been through your first relationship and it's been fireworks, right? Explosives, (laughs) amazing sex. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that everyone is experiencing that at least once. That kind of sex. (laughs) That kind of connection, a connection where where you feel constantly desired and constantly Mm -hmm. Um, fired up for your partner right but everyone who's been there over a period of time realizes that "Mm, I wonder why we're not at each each other's pants the whole time as we used to be and unfortunately we don't necessarily recognize that when that starts slowing down it doesn't mean that love is gone because a lot of us make this meaning that if we have like a really high level of desire for each other and we're really horny for each other and we want to have sex all the time we tend to um mean to make it mean that that means love or oh, this person is so in love with me they just want to get into my pants the whole time it doesn't really mean that 
It just means that uh, you have a, a strong sexual connection. Love and sex are actually two different systems in the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, attachment and lust are essentially different ways in which our, our brain connects with people. And sometimes the person that we are the most attracted to is not the person that we want to spend the rest of our life with. Exactly. So it's not that the person who's your best sexual partner is not always the person that you want to have babies and build a life with because the characteristic or the qualities that you're looking for in an amazing sex partner um, is, is are not necessarily the same as uh, looking for somebody you can mm-hmm. co-parent with. And also, like I said, that whole um, inverse reaction between passion and comfort also plays a game. The more comfortable uh, plays a role, sorry. The more comfortable you get with someone, the less you're likely that you're going to want to essentially uh, screw their brains out. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, like uh, I said, mm-hmm. go on, go on, go yeah, on. I, I can't agree more because like, um, I don't know if it's the hookup culture or the modern dating things going on. Like many people tend to ignore this part. They they just stop thinking. They, I mean, they have to realize the um, foundation of love and romance is not simply physical appearance and attraction. It's more about trust, emotional connection, and passion. I mean, all these complicated factors together we call it a romantic relationship or a lovable relationship, something like that. But uh, people just always have, have this kind of like physical or appearance anxiety about the sexual life. Like, oh, I I, sh- I have muffin top and not look like those Victoria's Secret models. I mean, mm. so you have to like understand like a foundation of relationship is constructed by so many emotional elements and spiritual elements. And a lot of times, if a partner stops showing sexual desire to you, that doesn't mean he or she doesn't love you anymore. It's just in other ways, he or she is telling you that uh, you guys are in love, like uh, words of affirmation, or she or he would like to spend quality time with you or do something for you. That's also science of love and romance. Exactly. So thinking that sex means love is, um, or sexual desire, when a partner shows you sexual desire is the way they love you, is um, a a limiting um, perspective in the sense that, uh, sure, in the beginning, we are attracted to each other through sexual desire. This is the spark right? Okay. A spark that brings us together. But then that sexual desire gives us an opportunity to explore much more about that person. As you said, at first, we might like the look of a person, right? And that's purely sexual. Like if I like what this person looks like, if their eyes, their palm, their breasts, whatever aspects of their physiology, of their physical appearance appeal to me, and I find them interesting, then there's a reason why I want to spend more time with them. Sure, in the beginning, it's all going to be potentially very physical. But then, you know, we spend time together and I realize that this person maybe has uh, very similar values to me. Maybe they want the same things in life. Maybe uh, they want to explore the world. And so do I. So we start creating um, connections that are way beyond the physical. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't want to have a relationship in which you're just purely friends, like where there is no 
I mean, you can have, of course, uh, a lot of uh, relationships where you feel very connected to a person without actually wanting to take them into your bedroom. But then those are best friends, right? Um, yeah. So there is that whole, <laughs> that whole um, nuanced, uh, let's say, repertoire of, of human uh, relationships where we can have people that we're attracted to purely sexually people that we're attracted to sexually and intellectually and emotionally. So it's quite hard to navigate this space, right? And it's really important to understand if a person that you used to be sexually attracted to you, has been friend zoning you or you friend zoned them, it means yeah. that uh, the desire for each other is gone and you no longer feel attracted to them. Right. And a lot, of, a lot of couples, unfortunately, end up in this kind of not even friend zone, but the sort of ignoring each other zone. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that really happens because they haven't really discussed, they haven't established right. mm -hmm. the baseline of, of their attraction and was it mm -hmm. temporary or was it something that they need to build over time. So really, it is important to talk about our desires, to talk about what is what is good for me as a person. If I if I want to align my my libido with my partner, I need to be aware of how that fluctuates because our libido, our sexual desire, is not is not a given. Is not a um, you know something that lasts for the whole life experience exactly the same as you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation libido is impacted by stress by food by uh what happens in my life at any level whether i've had children i've not had children whether i have a job whether i'm successful at my job whether i have health issues and so on right yeah so exactly. it's not it's not a constant a lot of uh factors are weighing in well, I love exactly. that idea when you were talking about they should openly discuss how to keep this attraction. A lot of people uh, have this kind of misconception. They believe that sexual attraction or romantic attraction is something just there once you have a relationship. But it's not the case. Both parties should contribute to it, should contribute building or keep this sexual or romantic fire running and have to consistently put effort to connect with one another. Because each individual, although you're in a relationship, as I mentioned before, you're still different individuals. Each party is still facing many different stresses and stories in life that you may not uh, be aware of. So um, as you said, that's how um, many couples drift apart throughout the time. Exactly. Yeah. And also, I mentioned the word spontaneous desire a couple of times in uh, our conversation so far. And it, by definition, spontaneous means it happens without us thinking about it, without planning. Yeah. Well, there is another type of desire that is actually a lot more common in uh, relationships that have been going for a while. And that is called responsive mm -hmm. desire. Responsive desire is um, almost like it takes a little bit of planning and when certain aspects, certain triggers are happening, uh, when certain criteria are met, desire can happen. Actually, someone was asking me last week, um, mm -hmm. what is my definition of love? How do I think of love? Wow, and uh, sure. the definition that uh, it is a beautiful question and it has so many beautiful answers. But one answer that came to mind at that time was actually um, a definition given by an American poet, Robert Frost. Mm -hmm. And he said that love is the irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired. Wow. So 
I think it's very beautiful. I think it's also very accurate. And I think it's also very connected to this idea of responsive desire. Because if you desire me, and maybe I wasn't thinking about sex, maybe I wasn't in the mode, you know, like my mind was busy with work, with washing dishes, with taking care of the children and all of that. So literally, I have no time, no mental space available to spontaneously think oh my god you look so hot right now right because our brain can only manage a certain amount of information that's right and i know being a woman a heterosexual woman i know that uh, one of the things that uh, always makes me laugh about romantic partners uh, that are men or male is that men experience spontaneous desire and they come at you and you might be washing dishes or you might be you know putting the kids to bed (laughs) and your man suddenly starts to kind of give you those signs that Hey, you know, I'm horny. And you're like, oh my God, how can you not see that right now? I am not, that's not the right time. (laughs) Yeah, I'm having my hands full. (laughs) Exactly. Which means I cannot handle that. However, if you are showing me desire in a space where I have mental space, I have, I have energy to, to see what you're doing and to respond to that. You know, if I see that you are irresistibly attracted to me, that will make me respond to that. Yeah. But it needs to be in the right context. So I think uh, one of the issues with uh, long-term relationships is that we take each other for granted. We mm-hmm. we fall into routines and we go, oh, okay, well, obviously it's not time. We only have sex Sunday out in the morning or whatever when uh, something has happened or certain conditions are met. But then it becomes routine. For me, the idea of responsive desire is that each partner is proactively creating an environment and uh, is paying attention to what is happening so that they can show that, hey, I actually find you extremely attractive right now. And without expectations, it doesn't mean that just because I find you super attractive right now because you look amazing in whatever it is that you're wearing or not wearing as it may happen to be, I I find you super attractive. And then for the other partner to go, oh, okay, well, I wasn't thinking about sex a minute ago, but now that you told me this, you put something in my mind. And yeah. that's the spark. That's what actually yeah. can grow into a beautiful experience. But as a couple, you really need to create those moments. So that's what I mean about being intentional and about that's taking right. time to understand when yeah. is it a good time to express this irresistible desire that that keeps things going. So yeah. it it does take work and people don't like when I say this, that ultimately in order for you to to keep the spark going, you yeah. need to keep reigniting it. You need to keep reigniting it at the right time, in the right place. So it takes a bit of paying attention to the partner. It takes being present. It takes yeah. being aware, being able to read your partner and also to be open enough and comfortable enough to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned just a second ago, we assume a lot of things. We believe we know what's happening for the partner when in actual fact, we have no idea. We, we make a lot of assumptions. We, we read them and we create a story about what must be happening for them. But the best way to find out what's happening for someone is to ask them. When we ask, we also need to be aware that, um, the definition of sex can be different for each person. Uh, having a sexual experience for many people, uh, means have penetrative sex if we're talking in the heterosexual space. Of course, heterosexual is by far not the only model, the, the only way that people engage in sexual activity. And sometimes um, sex is basically kissing, is cuddling, is 
engaging in something that really makes us feel loved, wanted, appreciated, that can be a sexual experience. It does not have to mean penis in vagina or penis in anus yes. or anything else, right? Exactly, because a lot of times it's about showing your affection. It's more than just uh, sexual pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sexopedia. We hope you found it informative and engaging. If you enjoyed this content, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Stay tuned for our next episode where Valentina will share more valuable insights in building a long-term and stable relationship. Until then, keep exploring, learning, and growing. Goodbye for now. We'll see you next time.